What up, Kingfish? Aqua lads and aqua lasses, welcome back to the watering hole. I'm just kidding. It's the Aqua Cave. You know that because you pressed play on your listening device. It's Johnny C, and it's time once again to crank it up. I hope your AC is working, folks, because it's the latest episode of Kingfish. Oh, yeah, JR. Kingfish time. Folks, thanks for joining me again here on Kingfish, the show where we live the Shane McMahon audio journey, where we recap, review, and have fun with Shane McMahon's ridiculous commentary from the early days of Sunday Night Heat. Now, you want to talk about heat, guys. We are still in August on the highway to hell. It's August 16th, 1998, and it's Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so it is indeed... Uh, the, the, the time of day that you want to turn to the USA Network to, to engage in some Sunday night heat. This show, however, was taped on August 10th, 1998, and it's coming to us live via tape from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, I'm such a wrestling nerd, but I guess I kind of like the little stuff, because as soon as I look, because they don't actually say where it's from, because I guess they don't want to reveal that it's a taped show, even though we know that it is. Uh, when I looked it up and saw it was taped from Omaha, Nebraska, what's the first thing that popped into my head? Well, holy shit. That is the home of In Your House. Good friends, better enemies. I don't know why that stuff stands out in my brain. Maybe it's because those 90, in 1996 was the year I got back into wrestling after the absence of 95. And I watched the hell out of those 96 pay-per-views because, I don't know, I enjoyed them quite a bit. But one of my favorite things about Good Friends, Better Enemies is at the end of the hardcore match or the no-holds-barred match in the main event where Shawn Michaels is tuning up the band for the sweet chin music, there is a very enthusiastic fan on the hard camera side, uh, clearly in visible view, who claps and stomps along with Shawn Michaels, and he is really fucking into it. Now, the reason he stands out of my memory is because he's rocking a number 11 New England Patriots Drew Bledsoe jersey. Now, I'm not a massive real sports fan, but as a kid, not only was I the jersey king of my local middle school, but I was a massive New England Patriots and Drew Bledsoe fan. I had the Patriot Games Drew Bledsoe poster in my room. I had the blue Bledsoe jersey. I had the black alternate Bledsoe jersey. And I also had the New England Patriots starter jacket. Oh yeah, baby. I guess you could say I was the kingfish of uh, small Ohio town Patriot fans. And then, of course, once they got good, Johnny C jumped off that train. But let's jump on to this train uh, leading us straight down the Shane McMahon Boulevard. We start with a recap of Monday Night Raw. Vince McMahon is very, very adamant in his concern for the Undertaker-Kane situation, and he's trying to get this through Mick Foley's thick skull. Vince believes that Kane and the Undertaker are one, and that mankind should no longer trust Kane. However, later that night, Kane and mankind win a fatal four-way to become the WWF Tag Team Champions. But to add a little more intrigue to this collusion concept... Kane wins the match by pinning The Undertaker after just a chokeslam. Now, I'm not here to throw shade at the power of the Glenn Jacobs chokeslam. I mean, he chokeslams common sense on a daily basis. Just check out his mayoral Twitter feed. But 
Is the chokeslam enough to get the Undertaker to lay down for the 1-2-3 because of injury? Or is he laying down for the 1-2-3 again because of collusion? We get our regular Sunday Night Heat intro video, and then the Shane McMahon audio journey truly begins. Welcome to the coolest, most exciting, radical thing on TV today. It's me, Shane O'Mac. And then he whispers, along with J.R. Jim Ross. <laughs> it's just, it's really funny character stuff that Shane McMahon, as a character at least, is well aware that he's over-the-top, ridiculous, and in love with himself, but also has to throw in that Jim Ross is with him as well. They hyped it tonight. The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin are both in the house, and Kane and Mankind will be defending the WWF Tag Team Championships against the LOD 2000 that I just recently covered on an episode of Star Man. Check it out in the archives where the WrestleMania 14 Battle Royal that's all about the return and rebirth of the Legion of Doom was covered on one of the negative one and a half star match episodes. So we we start with Kane and Mankind right away. They're coming down for their tag team title defense. As the pyro goes off, we get, oh man, it's getting hot down here, JR. It's Kane. Man, look at him. He's awesome. Mankind trails far behind Kane on the entrance. You know, sort of putting that uh, that little thought in our head that maybe Mick doesn't trust the Kanester. LOD 2000 makes their entrance, and it's Animal and Draws? Now, as I'm watching this in real time, I'm thinking to myself, God, this must have literally just happened on Raw last week, because... If you recall, on the first two episodes of Kingfish, we got those little videos for Dross' world, which made it seem like they were pushing Dross not only as a single act, but as sort of like his own character. So, what the hell is he doing with the LOD? Or with Animal, I guess you could say, because there have been no seeds laid, at least on Sunday Night Heat, for this storyline development. And Jim Ross is surprised on commentary as well. So that solidifies that this must be the start. Shane says that it's a smart move as Hawk has recently appeared in no shape to compete. Now, my note says I should make a Jeff Hardy joke right here, but I think just mentioning it does the trick. Now, one of the things we've liked to track here on Kingfish is maybe 1998 was a simpler, easier time to be alive. But the signs remind me that may not be the case because our first sign of the night, China has... A Venus. Not the planet, but the Val Venus that rhymes and looks like penis. So, yeah, some nice shaming of China there because her draw structure and her muscles don't look like what you think a woman should look like. God damn you, 1998. You're destroying my thesis. Shane McMahon. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's just start with the match first before we get to more Shaneisms. Because the match starts with Mankind hitting a double arm DDT. Uh, almost out of nowhere, because that's like his finisher. And it surprises me. It especially surprises me, because I assumed he would make the cover. But the camera cuts to ringside, where we do indeed see our announce team. Now the Chiron reads, Jim Ross, Shane McMahon, ampersand, which means and, friend, once again, Shane McMahon has brought a friend with him to do commentary. It is a lady, as usual. Shane McMahon says, Jahar, meet Michelle. And Michelle 
has on a headset for Pete's sake. She'll probably be a better commentator than Pete's sake patriarch Scott Hudson. But uh, I guess only time will tell. Before we leave the scene, Shane says, JR, have you seen her tongue ring? Jim Ross goes, pardon? We cut back to the, the match for a moment. Like two seconds, and then we cut back to the announce table. What? What's with the cut, Kevin Dunn? Speaking of Kevin Dunn, when Michelle sticks out her tongue to show the tongue ring, Kevin Dunn zooms in on it. He's in training for these goddamn zoom cuts that he does to this very day. Now, again, talking about 1998, I do love the nostalgic feel that this little tongue ring gag, if you want to call it that, gives me. Because this takes me back to a time when something like a tongue ring was considered a novelty or something crazy, in finger quotes. So I like that. What in the world would you use that for, King? I mean, excuse me. What in the world would you use that for, Shane? Uh, we can't go into that right now, JR. Jim Russ says that Austin is waiting to hear what The Undertaker will say tonight. You mean his confession? The Shane character is clearly touting Vince McMahon's line of collusion. So... If you want to put sort of a, a feeler out there as to what the Shane McMahon character is, he's daddy's boy. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not critiquing. I'm just putting it out there so we're aware of it. Suddenly, back in the match, Draws is bleeding. I don't know how it happened. But Animal tags in, and we get great strategy by Animal. He has been tag team champions before. Now, I don't really have a... Well, first of all, I don't know what the strategy is here, but... I love how he says Animal has been tag team champions, as opposed to Animal has been one half of the WWF tag team champions, or Animal has been a tag team champion before. But, I don't know. Mankind runs in with a chair, but Animal knocks it out of his hands, and then body slams Mick Foley on the chair. Now, I know it's not a show where we really talk about the in-ring action beat by beat, but this does start a pretty cool sequence that I wanted to point out because I don't want you to think I'm just making fun of these guys, that being the LOD 2000. Kane and Animal trade blows after this body slam. Animal hits the ropes, ducks a Kane clothesline, and then comes back off the other rope with a big shoulder tackle that does knock Kane square on his ass. Animal lands on his feet after the shoulder tackle, and it looks kind of cool. Mick has recovered, though, and he runs over and hooks in the mandible claw. The pain causes Animal to drop down to his knees. Draw sees this, sprints into the ring, and hits a jumping clothesline by jumping over Animal, who's down on his knees, and it hits Mick Foley square. And I really appreciated that. Now, Mick and Draws roll to the outside from the impact of this clothesline. Animal is dazed and confused, all right, all right, all right, and eats a cane tombstone. On commentary, Shane says something very weird. Surprise, surprise. He says, ooh, oh, which is a combination of like, ew, and oh. So like, ooh, oh, good night, good night, good night, is what Shane says as the tombstone makes impact. And like I mentioned, we get the one, two, three. Mankind and Kane celebrate independently, and we get, check it out, JR, no high-fiving. Mankind doesn't trust Kane. Now, I'm not sure that Kane and Mankind are really the high-fiving type to begin with, but I guess I get where Shane is coming from. We get a quick look at The Undertaker meditating in his locker room, Austin drinking a stabilizer in his locker room, as Jim Ross promises it's going to get hot here on Sunday Night Heat, basically just stealing my gimmick and doing my jokes as we head to commercial. 
we are back from commercial, and Marvelous Mark Marrow and Jacqueline are walking themselves down the ramp. Mark Marrow looking jobberific, as usual. It's, it is Kingfish, after all, so we get, Welcome back to Sunday Night Heat. There, we see Jacqueline, the baby with Beck. You know, if only Twitter... Well, you know, it, it doesn't have much to do with social media. I was going to say, if only Twitter existed back in the day. But, you know, it's just... I don't know, it's 1998 versus now. I'm not saying one's better or one's worse. I mean, this is a fictional world where they're trying to promote certain things about certain fictional characters. So I guess he's not actually talking about Jacqueline's ass. He's talking about Jacqueline, the baby with Beck's ass. Because that's the character, I suppose. So the announcers flash us back to Raw, where apparently Sable caused Jackie to lose her first wrestling match. And to make matters worse after the entire thing, Sable gave Luna and the Oddities Jacqueline's Bikini Contest Victory Trophy. Now, if you're not familiar with the Oddities, lucky you, but the Oddities are a group of um, lower-level sports entertainers. Luna, Golga, formerly known as the Earthquake John Tenta Shark. I'm not a fish. I'm a man. John Tenta who arguably has the worst match on Bash at the Beach 96, and that's arguably not a bad match, which arguably might make Bash at the Beach 1996 one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Just as a side note, it pops into my head whenever I think of Tenta, because the poor man had to walk around with his head half-shaved in real life. Uh, Also, the giant Silva, who I don't know a goddamn thing about, and making his return to the Aqua Cave audio waves, the Gator... Kerrigan the Interrogator. So, Jacqueline is not going to waste any time. She gets on the stick and says, Sable, get your Madison Avenue butt down here, because I got something to say. Now, I don't really understand how being someone who shops on Madison Avenue is a bad thing, but I guess she's trying to insult the Sable character. On commentary, we get, Yeah, girlfriend! Uh, yeah. But Jacqueline is indeed a bit of a wordsmith and a poet. I don't know if she knows it, but she says, put those ring dings and cheap wine down. No, no, hold on. I fucked it up. I fucked it up. I'm going to redo it. Take two. Put down those ring dings and cheap wine and come on out here, you swine. Use take two. Um, 1998 again delivers the goods as we get a crowd shot as the anticipation swells that says Sable 469 in the vein of Austin 316. Well, much like the dude, the Sable abides and out she comes. As her music plays and she poses towards the top of the entrance ramp, Shane McMahon says this on commentary, Swing! To which JR replies, What? It's fucking amazing. Jackie, I like my wine fine, and my men even finer. That's you she's talking about, JR. Ah, no, I ain't her league, pal. The only thing cheap around here is your perfume. Have you smelled Jackie, JR? (laughs) Just, this is, these exchanges are fucking brilliant, and it makes me glad that I host the show called Kingfish. Uh, but, you know, Sable goes to reiterate and make an addition to her earlier statement that the only thing cheap around here is Jackie's perfume when she says, Oh, and of course, your day rate, too. 
To which Shane says, Oh, damn. Jackie ain't playing, though. She wants her trophy back and tries to instigate a fight with the Sablester. To which Shane McMahon replies on commentary, Well, I don't want to burst your eardrums. So Shane McMahon makes cat sounds, like, But he does it with his over-enthusiastic Shane voice, and I know that if I do it, the microphone's going to explode, you're going to go deaf, and you're no longer going to subscribe to the Aqua Cave, so I won't do it. Um, Jackie says, we can wrestle for it. And there is, you know, this this excites the crowd. They want to see Sable and Jackie go one-on-one. On one. Uh, but as the, the, the crowd continues their Sable chant and it's going on, Sable puts her hand up, kind of like she's the Miz, but not in a heel way to silence the crowd, but in a way to be like, hey, guys, you want me to fight? I'm going to give you your answer. So she puts her hands up, and, and Shane goes, hey, Sable, how you doing? As if he's being waved to by the vivacious vixen. It's fucking hilarious. Sable's like, it doesn't matter if it's a wrestling match, bikini contest, or an arm wrestling match, which is a weird assortment of things to list, casually, but whatever. Yeah, She's... Re- oh, wait, no, I'm not... She goes, I'm ready. <laughs> and I was like, ready for the grind? But she says she's ready to drop the bomb on you. Her music hits, and then she starts to walk out, to which Shay says, oh, man, JR, she's talking about... The Sable Bombs. The 38 Specials. Now, I'm going to put my foot down and start a serious conversation here, okay? Now, I don't know much about women's brassiers, okay? But I do know that the number that is awarded to your brassier size is sort of like the part that goes around your back, right? And I understand that having a 38 band may be indicative of having a large cup size. I guess you could look at it a couple of ways. One, uh, you're a 38 whatever because your back is wider, uh, okay? Like, I, I'm not throwing shade. If, if your brassiere size has 38 in it, there is not a goddamn thing wrong with that. I'm just saying, to me, it's weird that they put the emphasis on 38, which is the band, instead of the cup size. Because I feel like the cup size is a more universally understood allusion to large breasts. You know, so if you have the Sable Bomb shirt that says 38 Special, which I think is also a band. Why do I know that? I probably know that because they probably contributed to some fucking WWF pay-per-view over the years. Uh, there's a shit ton of, uh, of, of shit rock. I don't know any other word for it. That's in my head for the rest of my life until I die because of the WWF slash E. So I guess good on them. They got the marketing across appropriately. But, like, why couldn't it, shouldn't it say, like, Sable Bombs, like, Class DDD or something like that, or DDD special or DD. I'm not trying to throw shade at the woman's bus size to, to imply that you know. Oh, she's really a double D. I said triple D. Like, I don't fucking care. All right, I, I'm I, I, I've, I'm an I'm an older dude. I've had sex before. I'm not like uh, obsessed with this shit. Okay, like it is what it is. Uh, you do you. Okay, but my point is, is that you would think it would just be easier to get the point across with the le- with the letters instead of the numbers. That's it. Uh, I thought this conversation would be more humorous and interesting. As I hear the words coming out of my mouth, I'm like, put a pin on it. So I'm putting a pin on it. Uh, as Sable leaves, Jackie is upset. So Mark Merrow offers her a very nice hug in the ring. But there's no time to view this hug because I have an important question to ask the audience. Do you think you know me? Oh, JR. It's Edge Time!
because the Edge music does start. Now, I didn't know that Shane McMahon was this excited for edging, but hey, like I said just a second ago, Shane, you do you, I'll do me, and the world will live in harmony, all right? Now, there's some weird editing here because we cut directly from the hug. As Mark and Jackie are hugging, we hear, you think you know me, come over the audio, and then the video transfers to us watching Edge's Titantron video, okay? Now, this Titantron video leads me to a unique discovery that I'm happy to discuss with the rest of you, but it plays for probably 10 to 12 seconds. And then when we cut to Edge coming through the audience, he's already basically getting in the ring. So it's clear that Edge's entrance happened at a later time in the taping. It may have happened after Mark and Jackie went up the ramp and what have you, but it's a cut show. It's an edited show. It's a taped show. Jesus fucking Christ. It's a taped show and they cut and they edit how they want to, but this edit stands out like a sore thumb to my eyes. Now, here's what I discovered during the extended play of the Edge video. If you pause the Peacock stream at around 12 minutes and 13 seconds or 12 minutes and 14 seconds, you will see this moment in the Edge video that cracks me the fuck up. Because, you know, the Edge entrance video is a lot of quick cuts of Edge wandering through the streets, maybe looking to settle a score or discover who he is on the inside. Like, I'm not sure what he's questing around Toronto for. But at the timestamp that I gave, there is a random insert shot of Edge just chopping a random dude in an alley. Like, there's no indication that this man is Edge's enemy. Uh, or that this is the man that Edge is hunting for. It's just like Edge walking in the subway. Edge running to the camera like he's going to spear it. Edge chopping a fucking unaware pedestrian. Like it. Uh, I would just love to know the story behind it. Was he one of the cameramen? Was he just some dude who was like, Hey, Adam Copeland, chop me. Like, I don't know. And I don't care. But, well, I guess I cared because it cracked me up. His opponent comes down to the ring. And... The music, I didn't quite catch who it was at first because it had sort of a stereotypical Hakushi tinge to the music or perhaps a stereotypical Takamishinoku sting to the music. But it is indeed one of the members of TNA's Next Generation Trios team, Brian Christopher, with Scott Taylor. And, you know, maybe it's because I just listened to the fantastic episode of The Wrestler That Was on the North-South Connection podcast network starring Aaron George, uh, where he discussed the honky-tonk man. And I'm not saying that these guys are on honky-tonk man level, but they are definitely emulating the better parts of the honky-tonk man presentation. Because as they walk to the ring, they are flailing these arms about and just moving and swiveling like it's nobody's business. And I think I may slowly be falling in love with Too Hot. So keep that in your back pocket. And then, good lord. Literally, good lord. I was going to make a comment on a fan who was causing a ruckus on the camera side. And I was going to start typing, why didn't they edit this shit out? Because they, you know, they clearly like to edit stuff. But this is actually an angle. On the hard cam side, walking on the lower deck is a man who I couldn't quite tell who it was at first... But the man is carrying a giant sign that says he is coming back. And this man is indeed Logan Crossland's favorite wrestler, the son of a son. I'm not going to see your gimmick, Logan, but I always think of son of a son, thanks to you, when I see Big Dust. It is Dustin Runnels, the son of a preacher man, the only one who could ever preach me. Was a gold preacher, man. Yes, he was. Yeah, I said gold and said son of. Because, you know, imagine if Goldust was a preacher. Not, the, you know, and I can say this as a person who has Tourette's. I don't necessarily find the Goldust Tourette's thing that 
funny. It's just too obvious, okay? It's just too easy. But a gold dust preacher with Tourette's, I could get behind. And like I said, I'm allowed to say that because I've got the paperwork and the medication. So don't cancel me, world, all right? Now, like I said, his sign says he is coming back. Could be Jeebus, could be gold dust, uh, could be Scott Hall Kevin Nash. According to the latest episodes of the Wrestling Warzone I've listened to on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, uh, Razor and, and, and Diesel are coming back. Maybe that's who he's talking about. Now, if this sign said the end is nigh, it would absolutely be the greatest sign in the history of our sport, but it does not. But, anywho, we should probably get on to the match that's actually at hand. It starts with a sneak attack by the Grandmaster of Christopher himself, and the announcers do talk during this match about the alleged uh, father-son relationship between Brian Christopher and Jerry Lawler, uh, still treating it as if they don't know the truth. During this sneak attack, I notice that Edge, he still has his jacket on, for Pete's sake! Let this guy take it off, at least. Let the female, or male, I don't care, fans enjoy the Edgester. During the match early on, though, Edge lowers his head and gets kicked in the face. To which Shane says, oh man, he went downtown too early. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that could also be the title of Shane McMahon's autobiography. Because we all know he is indeed on an epic quest to get downtown. But this is the first time we've heard it since week one. And even though the context is a little bit different, I'm still super excited. Random sign in the audience says, Greg is a drunk. And Greg, buddy, there is help out there. You can beat this thing. Uh, <laughs> Edge eventually gets Brian Christopher up in the, please no, please no. You guys know what I'm talking about. That Farouk spot. Uh, as Edge slams Brian Christopher face first into the mat, Brian, or Brian Christopher, Shane has, I mean, I can't really emulate the sound because again it'll destroy the microphone but he basically has an incitement excitement orgasm uh live via tape on television while sitting next to poor michelle i should add well maybe michelle has something to do with it i don't know she's not in view of the camera holy fucking shit dustin runnels has flipped his sign around to the other side and it says the choice is yours this destroys the thesis. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. It, I was going to say it destroys the 1998 thesis. I guess it, en- it enhances the 1998 thesis is what I'm trying to say, that it might have been a better time, even though other things were bad. But, man, this just sucks. I, I, I'm not going to make... I mean, I, I guess you could argue and say, well, Johnny, you're already making jokes about it. I'm like, no, I'm not making jokes about it. It's just It just goes to show that the, the, the future does indeed suck. Um... But luckily, I think in real life, I did see that Dustin Runnels tweeted out some nice words for our female friends out there. So at least this is indeed the Dustin character. Let's make that very clear. Now, <laughs> I, I I do not remember this at all. Okay? At all. But Shane talks to JR and says that uh, Dustin Runnels had a message for everyone on Monday Night Raw that was sponsored by a new group that is indeed sponsoring the Dustin Runnels character uh, called the Evangelists Against Television, Movies, and Entertainment. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And then I took a closer look, and if you take out the articles, it is indeed Evangelists Against Television, Movies, Entertainment. 
eat me. <laughs> now, now that is not, it's not funny at all. But for some reason, especially when I figured it out the first time, I was laughing my tits off. I don't know why. It's just, it's so stupid. It just, I could, I could totally see the teenage version of Johnny C being like, oh my God, that's the funniest thing ever. And like having a custom made evangelist against television, movies and entertainment shirt made just as an excuse to wear it to school. Cause that's the type of kid that I was and maybe still am today. I don't really know. Um, but Brian Christopher gets knocked to the outside, back to the match and him and Scott Taylor are hugging in a beautiful way. So Jim Ross decides to hype the rest of the card for the evening. Uh, uh, we get old lefty, Mark Gunn, taking on Vader. We're also going to get the debut of Gangrel. And don't forget, JR, Triple H, and X-Puck are going to be taking on Southern Justice. Brian Christopher then gets his dick rammed into the steel post by Edge. And Shane says, oh! But then he realizes it transitions into, oh! Because, you know, it's his cock that got busted up. Brian Christopher eventually, though, gains the upper hand and sunset flip power bombs Edge straight onto the fucking concrete. Well, the, the mats, but still the concrete. And Shane goes splat. JR says, well, it's tough to win a match when you're fighting. <laughs> well, he said, uh, actually, I was going to, I added a couple extra words. There. He says, it's tough to beat two men. Michelle says nothing. Edge hits a spear as a transition move. I guess he just hasn't harnessed all the power that the shoulder tackle is really, really capable of. And Shane says, Man, I wonder if Edge used to play football. And I don't understand this, because a tackle in a game of football like that would be an automatic red card, so no active football player would ever engage in such tactics. Brian Christopher then hits a version of the stroke and does his gremlin laugh. I don't know any other way to describe it, and I'm, again, not going to try to emulate it, but it makes me laugh. He goes up top, and the hip-hop Tennessee jam misses. Edge picks up Brian Christopher and hits the downward spiral. We get, oh, that's the downward spiral. It does get the one, two, three, and Edge leaves as quickly as he arrived right through the crowd. As he's going through the crowd, uh, JR calls Edge the, uh, the strange enigma or something like that. And Shane goes, JR, can you spell Enigma? Well, I reckon I can. E N I G M A. Uh, bingo. Was his name O. <laughs> that is not shtick. That is a real exchange. And in case it didn't come across uh, from me doing it, Shane does end with the fantastic Vince McMahon laugh that he does. I don't know if it's a tribute or just his natural habitat. Habitat doesn't really work there, but I'm sticking with it. We go to commercial, and we're back. And Bark Gunn is already in the ring. He kind of looks like Johnny Nitro with this long, wet hair. I'm not going to lie. Shane says, JR, there's your buddy. He ain't no buddy of mine. Wait a minute. That was not my JR impression. And in real life, that wasn't JR's voice. Thank God uh, we cut to the camp, We cut to the uh, announce table, and we see it is indeed, according to his name graphic, godfather of the nation and wouldn't you know it he's got an active cigar <laughs> and he is indeed smoking uh jr tells the godfather he might want to put that out the godfather responds first off don't tell me what to do and jr says well well it was just a suggestion <laughs> hey godfather you got a phd right yeah a pimpin' hose degree <laughs> oh i love it 
Uh, Vader makes his entrance and props to the WWF camera crew because they somehow found a lone sign in the crowd in the outskirts that says Vader time. I was blown away by this, so I rewound the sign because I wanted to see who the fuck is holding a Vader time sign in the summer of 1998. And it was indeed two youngsters. So good for them. If they were encouraged by this version of Vader, you should go back and check out some old school Vader and WCW, uh, where there's no mats on the king, on the on the apron king. Uh, you know the Bill Watts era. Let's hook him up. Someday I'm gonna do some sort of uh, 1992 WCW podcast. I don't know if that's a promise or a threat, but I kind of love it for some reason. Bart is in the middle of his, like, brawl for all run. Uh, they, they, they cut back to a clip three weeks ago of him beating uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. He hits that famous left hook that knocked the doc down, and Shane calls it the shot heard round the world. JR, it was the start of the revolution. The Minutemen were ready on the move. Get your powder. Get your gun. Report to General Washington. Okay, he doesn't say all that stuff, but he does call it the shot heard around the world. Last Monday, he beat Vader, and tomorrow night in the Brawl for All, he's got the Godfather. JR promises that it's sure to be a slobber knocker. I love that word, slobber knocker. Very effective. Vader starts up the match with his eh punches. You know, the one where he goes eh, 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 after he strikes each time. So, you know, that that's entertaining, but unfortunately, you know, if you if you end up actually watching this match, it is mostly just punches and stuff like that. It's not very entertaining. Eventually there is a spot where Bart suplexes Vader. He gets him almost up to the vertical position and, and I don't know if he starts to drop him, but he holds him in place and then without any assistance from Vader, like deadlifts him from a 25 or excuse me from like a 45 degree angle up to the 90 degree angle i mean look that is fucking man size strength okay i don't, I don't know this is the only phrase i could think of to describe it uh it's brutish strength if you will and it was actually really impressive but uh you know bark gun still has no personality and you need both to be a sports entertainer we learned during this match that Shane McMahon has a cigar as well. And JR yells at Shane for smoking with the Godfather. Uh, he says, you shouldn't be smoking that cigarette, uh, Shane. Your daddy's not going to approve. And Shane's like, it's a cigar, JR. A Cuban. The Godfather throws in, let a player be a player. And that was kind of a Teddy Long uh, voice, but... You know, it had the word player, so what are you going to do? We do see Shane smoke live on camera, which is going to earn this episode of Sunday Night Heat in the modern era an instant rating of TV 14 for tobacco. Vader locks in the Fujiwara armbar, which is actually called that on commentary by JR, which just surprised me, didn't really impress me. Eventually, Bart hits the cactus clothesline on the side where the announce table is. You know, the cactus clothesline, they both go over the top. Oh boy, here we come. Vader bumps into the table on the way over, and Michelle immediately bails from the announce table in fear. And this isn't the Michelle character, the Michelle person bails in fear. Bart throws Vader into the steps and has his back turned from the announce table, which allows the Godfather to get in a cheap shot. The ref calls for the DQ, and uh, Godfather and Vader double-team old lefty, and uh, Vader hits a splash off the top, trying to soften up Bart Gunn for tomorrow's Brawl for All encounter. Oh man, the Brawl for All, tomorrow night, it's gonna be brutal. Truer words have never been spoken, Shane. 
we head to a video package where they say the beast, the black heart, the world's most dangerous man. Tomorrow night, the most physical triple threat match in history. So I guess these guys are fighting in a triple threat tomorrow. During this video package, they show a clip of Owen uh, with uh, Shamrock in a position where he's about to be pilmanized. And on commentary, JR says, Owen Hart is going to try to break Shamrock's leg or his ankle or his foot. I mean, sure, I guess that covers all of the bases. I don't know. It just, it just, I just found it humorous because... You know, JR is usually so good on commentary, and there's nothing wrong with what he's saying, but it's just like, yes, it could be that. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, it could be that. Maybe is it, is it the arm, though? No, not the arm. I don't know. It just it just stood out to me as something very un-JR-like. Uh, in this uh, video package, JR also is caught on commentary calling Shamrock the animal, which I'm sure would not please Dave the Destroyer. We head to commercial. We're back from commercial, and Shane tells JR, Oh man, I am so hyped about the highway to hell in the garden. Which means we missed another classic highway to hell video package, and it makes me sad, so I went to YouTube and watched it again. But as I refocus on the actual Sunday Night Heat broadcast, it looks like I may have traveled to YouTube for folly, because, oh man, JR, it looks like the highway to hell is up on the stage, because a small portion of the uh, entrance stage is indeed on fire, and we hear, wah, 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 wah. oh, Nere, oh, Nere. What's that voice saying in Gangrel's entrance theme? Has anyone ever deciphered that? If so, let me know, because I've been fucking saying and making shit up for years. But Gangrel is here. This is actually his like official WWF debut, so I feel honored to be able to cover that here on Kingfish. Now, even if you didn't know it was his debut, from me telling you, you could absolutely tell, because as Gangrel rises up through the fire, I feel like Gangrel the person legit looks frightened. And it's either the fire, or it's because his first time on an episode of WWF television, I'm not sure, but he doesn't have that shit-eating grin that he will eventually every time he rises up from the stage, that sort of, <laughs> you can, you can, you know what, I don't even, don't even fucking pretend that you can't see that shit-eating grin when you hear, wow, you can picture it because you're just like me. That's probably why you're listening to a fucking podcast called Kingfish. But, uh, you know, Gangrel does his usual thing. He's coming down the ring. He's looking good. He's got a leather coat over the pirate jacket. JR on commentary says, Oh, Shane, you got to wonder what's in that. Now, when he said in that, I immediately hit pause. Okay? Because I decided to play a little game against myself, I guess, where I was going to hypothesize what JR was going to call the cup. Okay, and I I pondered it over in my brain, and my choice was chalice. Let's see what Jim Ross chose. Oh, I don't know, Shane. You gotta wonder what's in that goblet. Damn it, it was goblet. (laughs) And and now I'm thinking about it, though. Wait a minute. Gangrel rose up through fire, and Jim Ross called it a goblet. Folks, I think what we might have here is a case of legendary piece of shit, author J.K. Rowling, perhaps a WWF Sunday Night Heat fan, because in July of 2000, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was released to uh, bookstores everywhere and Amazon.com, because that was the only thing they fucking sold. 
Harry Potter books, man, Amazon.com, the fucking... Anywho, that's a whole other podcast, all right? Uh, look at his teeth! JR warns us. As JR warns us this, Gangrel gets into the ring, but under his breath, Shane McMahon goes, Ooh, Count Chocula. <laughs> I'm just like, what? I mean, look, I love Count Chocula, and I really appreciate the reference. But it's just the most insane thing to hear come out of his mouth. But it did make me think of other Fantastic Monster cereals. Boo Berry, Frankenberry, could anybody else name the other two? I too, because I've had them all in recent memory. The Fruit Boot. See, here's the problem, alright? You got Count Chocula, that's a unique product. Boo Berry, a unique product. Frankenberry, not as unique, but at least the box is a different color. All right, because for all you uh, cereal noobs out there, blueberry is blue and it's blueberry. Okay, Frankenberry is pink and he's strawberry. All right, Choculus, of course, chocolate. But the other, th- there's three more monsters that need representation here. Okay, we've got Dracula. Uh, uh, no, we didn't call him Dracula. You, yeah, I didn't call. You, it doesn't say Dracula. You can't sue. Actually, I think Dracula is a public domain character. Uh, Frankenstein. So you got Dracula. Frankenstein's monster, uh, and uh, a ghost, all right? Some pretty classic horror archetypes. You're, the, the ghost isn't exactly a universal classic movie, uh, movie monster, all right? Uh, but you've got the wolfman, the mummy, and the invisible man, all right? So we'll call the ghost the invisible man, because if you really think about it, the invisible man is way too much of a sexual deviant to be f- uh, featured on a cereal box, okay? Uh, it, you know... Is, I know Frankenstein's monster may have murdered some people, but allegedly they had it coming. All right. So we've got the fruit brute, which is the Wolfman. All right. And that cereal is pretty much a fruity assortment. But then you've got fruity, yummy mummy, which is just the same fucking thing. All right. And where the fuck is Gill Man? All right. The creature from the Black Lagoon, because that's my favorite of the Universal Movie Monsters. Where the fuck is he? his cereal? And you know what? I just fucking made this up as I was taking my notes, and and yes, I'm recording this after I have my notes, folks, but I swear to you, I wrote, what about Gilman? Jesus. And then two seconds later, I wrote the next phrase, which is my idea for the Gilman cereal. So if I can think of something half decent in two seconds, the Monster Cereals brand really needs to get the fuck on it. Here we go. You ready? Gilman in Gilgram. It's like a Golden Grams knockoff. Boom. I just did that. You are welcome. Uh, Shane infers that the gangster could use these giant fangs to open up a beer can and just drink it whole, kind of like Steve Austin and his stabilizers. But no, Shane, that gimmick does not belong to Steve Austin and his stabilizers. Biting the beer can belongs to Teen Wolf, and that's it. And I'll hear none of this otherwise. Uh, Gangrel tongues the chalice, (laughs) also, after he does the blood spit thing. Uh, Shade says, hey, Michelle, he's got a tongue ring like you. Now, conspiracy theory alert. After he says, hey, Michelle, he's got a tongue ring like you, there was a decent amount of silence. So I hit the old rewind button and I counted. Twelve seconds of silence pass. Folks, I am putting money. Look, you cannot convince me otherwise. I believe this as a fact, even if it's fiction. Michelle absolutely fucking said something on commentary, and they absolutely said, fuck you. All right, Michelle has been silenced by the WWF slash E, and I will not stand for it. All right, so hashtag don't silence Michelle. 
Uh, that's a gag. If that really happened, it's not. Uh, well, first of all, if they really cut the dialogue, that's hilarious. But uh, you know, using that as a gag against uh, legit social crusades. My apologies, <laughs> but it's got. It, I, I'm not taking it back. Uh, like I said, Gangro does the blood spit. Jr. is absolutely appalled by this. Shane, however, says, "Oh man, I want some of that. Looks orgasmic. Bring some of that over here, Gangrel." I'm not even fucking kidding. Those are legit quotes from the Shanester. Uh, the Vampire Warrior is indeed doing battle with Scott Taylor. Uh, Brian Christopher is with him as well. As the bell rings, Scotty is frightened. Uh, leg- legitimately, he's like pointing and doing a face like, what's that? Scotty just doesn't know what to think. Uh, Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. Oh, ho, ho. Anyway, uh, the fucking, there's a great shot after Scotty's looking scared, of Gangrel covered in blood, and his shirt's kind of ripped open a little bit, like, you could tell he really got into the blood spit, all right? Like, I'm not trying to be ridiculous, like, he was feeling it, he was doing it full bore tonight, and he's covered, and it looks pretty cool, and it's a really good camera shot, like I said. Shane McMahon goes, Shane, well, I'm not going to say ha ha ha, but he's fucking legitimately laughing, he goes, oh, what the hell, nice look. Um, Gangrel does some really interesting offense, and I mean that. He does, like, a unique reverse elbow when he whips Scott Taylor into the corner turnbuckle. It's pretty cool. He does, like, a, he does a much faster, much more athletic version of Conan's potato peeler clothesline, and I appreciate that. There's a big back body drop, and Shane goes, oh, ho, 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 he got high. Brian Christopher is running around ringside at this point. Like, trying to be like, oh, save Scotty, save Scotty. And, unfortunately, I think this is the first F-word chant that I've, uh, you know, heard while watching one of these old school shows. I was like, uh, but it's Omaha. So, I mean, I would expect nothing less even in the current era. So, I don't, I don't know. The match is a squash, though. Uh, Scotty does get his federally mandated, uh, like, two moves potential comeback. Because I guess he's the question mark baby face. Uh, but Gangrel cuts him off immediately. Gangrel finishes off the match by hitting that fucking awesome implant DDT that he does, okay? Now, this is an important, interesting sequence I'll cover. This this whole last back half of Heat is a fucking insane Shane McMahon treasure trove, so fucking buckle up, all right? Uh, he, he puts Scotty too hottie in the DDT position, all right? Shane says, oh, suplex! After he hits the implant DDT, JR ridiculously overcompensates on commentary when he's like, Oh my, what a DDT! DDT by Gangrel! And, you know, obviously sort of putting this, putting it to Shane like it's a DDT, you fucking moron. But Gangrel picks up uh, the 1-2-3. As he's doing this, Shane's like, Yeah, well, it looked like he might have been going for a suplex. Again, trying to cover his own ass. So we got a little commentary fight going here. When it's time to cue up the replay, Shane goes, Okay, let's take a look at this DDT, as you call it. <laughs> this is really fucking funny. JR promises that The Undertaker and Stone Cold are still to come. We then cut to, um, like, it's still Sunday Night Heat. It's just because they show little Austin, the Heat logo's up, and then they show, like, a slow-motion replay of a, of, of, a, of a woman, okay? A woman in the ring on Monday Night Raw undressing and a man eating dog food. Now, would I tell you Vince McMahon personally picked this woman to undress in the middle of the ring uh, and he didn't do it because he was excited about it. You know exactly who... You could picture someone in your head that I'm probably talking about. You can picture this hypothetical woman in your head, so I'll say nothing more. 
All right. On commentary, Shane's expl- Shane explains <laughs> doing that weird fucking Thor thing. Oh my God! Tiger Ali Singh has had two disgusting demonstrations of what Americans will do for the Almighty Dollar. What's gonna happen next? Well, we don't have to wait long because it's the future, folks. No commercials. We're back with the hottest thing on TV. Tiger Ali Singh and a man identified to me only by his name placard that said Abu, so that's just what I'm going to call him, are in the ring. Abu is throwing out ceremonial roses, so Tiger Ali Singh, uh, I guess, doesn't have to step on the pavement like Eddie Murphy in Zamunda. (laughs) Uh, Coming to America is a great fucking movie. I should do a podcast about that. Uh, No, no, no. Back to Sunday Night Heat. Um, So, yeah, they're in the room. He's throwing the roses. Oh, yeah. Shane Perman promotes the early days of Facebook as he says, JR, I think it's time to play. How low will America go? Tiger Ali Singh starts talking shit. And, of course, again, we're in Omaha, so he's got nuclear fucking heat with some USA, USA. Um, He tells Abu to pull it out. Abu abides. But thank God, he just pulls out a Nightcrawler. And no, I'm not talking about a little blue, lovable elf that moonlights as an X-Man. I am talking about a legitimate fish-trapping device. Okay, it's a fucking uh, uh, Nightcrawler. What do you want from me? Okay, it, and it's fucking swirling, swiveling about and, and moving and shit. All right? <laughs> Tiger says, $500 cash to eat this Nightcrawler. On commentary, we get, JR, sit down. Uh, Shane then throws out a reference to the fact that when he was in uh, a school, elementary school, he read a book called How to Eat Fried Worms. And fuck me, I read that book in elementary school too. I can't tell you a thing about it. But if that's what they were teaching kids in Shane McMahon's like, school in like Connecticut, I mean, I guess I feel a little bit better, right? Now I'm going <laughs> to... Coming soon to the Aqua Cave, we review chapter by chapter how to eat fried worms, allegedly. Um, oh, this one's like sushi. <laughs> fuck it. Oh, this one's like sushi. It's raw. And fuck me, Abu picks a dude out of the crowd. I don't watch it. I'm not, I'm not fucking watching that. There's there's nothing to review here. But the dude does it, and DX is next. I'm not watching it. We head to commercial. We're back. DX is in the house because they're coming down the aisle. It's Triple H, X-Pac, and China. They let us know on uh, commentary that last week, DX pulled a prank on Monday Night Raw saying that they were going to break up. But it was, again, just another DX cutting ruse. Uh, as it just ended up being a gag. And to put the icing on the cake... China moons the audience. Of course, it's censored here on Sunday night, but back on Monday, it was live and raw. On commentary, for Lord knows why, Shane McMahon, and I want this on a t-shirt, Happy Easter, how's your keister? I just don't even fucking know what to say. Uh, But Shane does compliment her buns further, saying she's got nice ones. JR does his typical, I wouldn't know anything about that, King. I'm a happily married man. Triple H does his microphone shit as he starts ramping it up and doing his deep bass voice, which I suppose if you sat on a speaker when Triple H did his entrance, perhaps you could have an orgasm like that chick in the Howard Stern movie. Don't act like you didn't rent that movie and when your parents weren't around, you didn't rewatch that scene a hundred times. But yeah, Triple H says, let's get ready to suck it. And, um... 
what happens? Oh yeah, there's a this is a variant version. That's why I wrote notes down. Uh, Shane says, Michelle, relax. Triple H after he says, then for the thousands in attendance and for the millions watching at home and for the Michelle who's gonna have an orgasm. No, he says, and for the one heir apparent to the World Wrestling Federation throne, Shane McMahon. My God, folks, you can taste the irony here in the future. Based on what he's saying, I'm fucking loving this. Now they cut to Shane, all right? And I never want to hear that Pat McAfee innovated the table stand, okay? Because Shane is standing on the table doing the O'Doyle rules pose, going, yeah! You can see it and hear it in your heads, even if you haven't seen this episode. He then does multiple crotch chops. Uh, Weird ones where, like, your wrist is long, dangling over your wrist. Like... Like, there needs to be a science saying what how you do a crotch chop, what it means about your personality or something like that. Because we've seen so many over the years. But, anyway, he's doing these crotch chops, and every time he makes a new X, he says, and I quote, Boom! Yeah, yeah! Triple H! You know how hard it was to write that and, and to have my phone allow it? All right. Do you know how many times I re had to t- I had to retype that fucking sentence uh, in order for my phone to allow it to exist on my fucking notes app? Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna say it twice just because I fucking earned it. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Triple H. Dennis Knight walks over to Shane, who was apparently there the whole fucking time. And Shane's like, hey man, I'm just having fun. That's what it's all about. I'm just having fun. JR warns Shane that if he keeps it up, he may have a rather short broadcast career. I don't know if he's talking about getting the shit kicked out of him by Southern Justice or the hey, but honestly, folks, at this point, it could be either one. Now, look, this match is just standard fucking tag team action. I spent most of this match hitting the rewind button to get this fucking quote-tastic shit that comes up during this match, all right? So, um, yeah, it's their tag stuff. Um... When Hunter comes in the ring, Jim Ross wants to tout the fact that last week Pacific Blue had really good ratings because Triple H was on it, okay? Now, like I said, I I hit uh, Rewind quite a bit during this segment. I wrote this verbatim because JR's transition here is literally the stuff of legend, and that is no hyperbole, all right? He says, (laughs) all right, here we go. Triple H did a great job on Pac Blue last Sunday night. They had the highest television rating. Fuck. Let me restart that. Triple H did a great job on Pacific Blue last Sunday night. They had the highest television ratings ever, thanks to Triple H. And uh, when a teenager witnesses a murder, he turns to Pac Blue for help. That's tonight, after Sunday night heat. <laughs> Fucking believable. Because I'm just sitting here listening and watching away, and he's like, highest ratings ever, and then there's a murder king. Like I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. And then, at nine, a movie star. What? No, only two. Let's start that again. Beep, 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 bulletin. Then, at nine, a movie star preps for a part by watching Tom and Casey solve crimes of passion on silk stockings. Now, folks, that literally happened. All right? Shane fucked up his uh, his little spot there by, by calling the match during the silk stockings uh, ad- advertisement. But it's time to steal a little bit from one of my other shows, shows, WCW Must Die. And it's time to play Fun with Closed Captions! So I, of course, had the closed captions on, as usual. And uh, Shane says, 
Then at 9, a movie star preps for a part by watching Tom and Casey solve crimes of passion on silk stockings. But according to the closed captions, he says, Then, at 9, a movie star preps for a part by watching Tom and Casey solve crimes of passion. I'm so stoked for this. Yeah, I guess you could you could get that from Shane McMahon's incoherent ramblings. <laughs> then at 10, a former operative turns against the section. Darn him. Now his fate lies in the hands of La Femme Nakita. And what's with this darn him that Shane that uh, JR throws in there? It, it felt really added in in post-post-post-production like it was dubbed in. But why are you throwing shade at La Femme Nakita, making fun of this guy, of their serious plot? Because if you turn on the section, La Femme Nakita is going to La Femme your ass. JR promotes the Intercontinental title match for SummerSlam between a Triple H and The Rock. He absolutely does not mention that it's a ladder match. Must not be a thing yet. Uh, then he mentions X-Pac and Jeff Jarrett. Going to battle at SummerSlam as well. Absolutely doesn't mention the hair versus hair stipulation, so it hasn't happened yet. Meanwhile, in the match, X-Pac hits a stiff jumping spin kick. Then he transitions to the Bronco Buster. On commentary, we get, Yeah! He's riding that! Shong! Shong! Afterwards, Southern Justice get Triple H outside and start ramming his head into the announce table right in front of uh, his best buddy Shane, McMahon, Shane McMahon there. Shane advises Michelle to back away. Jeff Jarrett runs in for a low blow to X-Pac, a.k.a. a kick to the dick. Uh, the ref calls a DQ. Jeff Jarrett has clippers with him. Oh, X-Pac could be getting a haircut. But no, Billy Gunn saves. Southern Justice bails off to continue their hunt for Michael Myers, allegedly, while Shane says, Double J, finally getting some attitude, JR. Kane paces in the back as we head to commercial. We're back. Here comes the dead man with his sweet rock and roll music. It's confession time. Stone Cold Steve Austin watches in the back and drinks a stabilizer. Mark Taker speaks, and this entire promo is is him face first into the camera, very close. And my first note, he looks so young. And I'm not, that's not a joke. I mean, he just looks young. He's probably younger than I am now then. And that makes me cry a little. (laughs) When I became the number one contender, Austin, I promised to keep you the safest SOB in the WWF. And I've done that. I protected my investment in the title. But I can't protect you from yourself. You see, boy, you done the wrong thing. Is he talking about Maven when he says this? <laughs> Maven, boy, I tried to make you a star. No, but when, when when Stone Cold hears boy, he knows he's talking about him. Which, again, I'm not here to promote that as a positive thing. But Austin does, like, bail. Uh, he grabs his smoking skull belt and starts heading towards the ring. You piss me off, Austin. They bleep piss me. They bleep the word piss, and I nearly go deaf. Uh, you know, because because of the headphones, they cut to an enraged fan at ringside who starts th- who puts his fucking dukes up like he's a goddamn kangaroo from the 1930s. Hey, put up your dukes! <laughs> but I, he, he's at least into it, which is more than I can say about most WWE fans, except for that lady who's like, "We love you, Roman." I fucking love that meme, by the way. <laughs> Oh, that's the only good thing WWE has done in the last, like, ten years, and it was a fucking accident that they had nothing to do with. As this promo continues, I'm noticing the Triple H has a huge... Or, the Triple H! Good lord! Well, it could have been... Here's why I said it's Triple H, because I'm about to talk about The Undertaker's nose. So I Freudian slipped and said Triple H. 
But like I said, Taker's whole face is in the camera, this whole promo. And the Mark Taker has a giant white head on his fucking nose. It's disgusting. And how the fuck did this ever get onto TV? And I'm not trying to be a dick or like throw shade at the Undertaker and be like, the Undertaker's dirty and doesn't shower. I mean, it could be the case. I I won't put that past him. He is a dead man, after all. But here's the thing, like, if you've... Like, you're a fucking television show. Okay? I know you're wrestling. I get it. But you're a fucking television show. That's one positive thing I'll say about the modern era. They, they seem to fi- finally figured out that they're a fucking television show. And that's all I'm going to say about that. The, the, I don't want... No, I was going to do a Forrest Gump impression, but I'm not. I stopped. The glass breaks with 30 seconds of TV time left. Austin gets halfway down the ramp. Some tiny pyro goes off. And Kane comes down the ring. It's a trap! No, that wasn't Shane McMahon. That was legendary Rebel Alliance leader Admiral Akbar. The copyright hits, and we start fading to black. As we fade to black, the final word on commentary comes through. Shane McMahon says, Please don't go! Which, of course, made me think of that fucking 90s electronic dance. Please don't go, go, go. Please don't go, go, go. I fucking love that song. It's awful. Please don't go, go, go. Please don't go. Go, go. Try to fucking get that song out of your head, by the way. But, I mean, like I said, the copyright hits, and that is it. One of the fucking strongest episodes of Kingfish we have had yet. Okay, we've only had... This is only the third one, but man, I'm just really glad the concept continues to pay off, folks. I just picked it on a whim. It's a Shane McMahon audio journey. I remembered Shane was fucking bad on commentary, and I was like, well, if nothing else, maybe I'll get some jokes out of it. But he fucking continued to deliver... continues to deliver week after week and i'm so glad that we're fishing in the that we're in this pond with a goddamn nightcrawler on our fucking pole because we're looking for kingfish kingfish you know what i'm saying man god damn anyway i had a lot of fun with this show um that is gonna wrap it up here for this production of kingfish here in the aqua cave thanks so much for coming in for a listen i hope you had a good time as usual check out all the other shit that's you know out there uh starman hits on a pretty consistent basis every couple days we're tracking Meltzer's worst matches and of course every once not every once in a while but you know we're gonna we roll we're rolling out the big three starman is really easy to produce guys i'm not gonna lie to you it's pretty quick you know i could maybe get a couple of those out a week something like that uh but you know the big stuff kickfish is a little easier too but upn really takes some time and wcw must die takes fucking a lifetime per episode but i hope it's worth it our last episode episode x7 uh you want to talk or look at the edge to play a dust time you know it hit a while back folks give that one a listen i know i, I know it's a longer investment of your time but I think it's going to be... If you like Kingfish, you're going to love WCW Must Die because it's more the same, but there are different targets to snipe at and different opportunities to do fun little shit. All right? But as always, I can't thank you enough. This is Johnny C, and I'm going to see you later. Please don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go.